It was in 1947 when Dutch businessman Ben Pond sketched out the first concept of the VW bus. It went into production in 1950, and it was the only second vehicle that Volkswagen was making. The first one was obviously the Beetle. Uh, whenever it was in production, it was called the Type 2. Uh, thankfully, they, they came up with a more creative name. Uh, but the van was literally the first van ever made. And so all of you who are driving minivans, you have the Volkswagen bus to thank for that. But by the time 1960 rolled around, it was not only a vehicle, but it was also a symbol of countercultural living by people who desired to stand out from the crowd. In a lot of ways, this image, this VW bus, is a fitting picture for our text when we come to Philippians uh, chapter 2. It's a symbol of a prototype. We're, we're going to study a passage today in Philippians chapter 2, 17 through 30, with three men who serve for us as model citizens of heaven, prototypes for us to model our life after. And not only that, but it was a symbol of countercultural living. And honestly, like as you know, the gospel is countercultural. Living life as a citizen of heaven is countercultural. It's countercultural to rejoice in the midst of suffering. It's countercultural to live a life that, that exemplifies it's more blessed to give than to receive. The call to love your enemies, the call to bless those who curse you. Uh, as citizens of heaven, we know that the way we lead is to serve. The key to freedom is surrender. The key to being great is being a servant. The key to being first is to treat others better than yourself. The only way to life is to lay it down, all of which are very countercultural. But as citizens of heaven, we also realize that that is the only way to experience the abundant life, the blessed life, the good life that God has for us. So uh, I want to pull up our theme verse. This is our final week in our series, Citizens, our mini-series through this book of Philippians. Uh, next week, we'll continue our study through the book of Philippians, but this will be the last time uh, we reference this theme verse. And so I want to invite you, if you would, would you stand to your feet with me? Uh, we're going to read this out loud. Uh, stand up in honor of, of God's word. And I'm going to invite you to read this out loud with me. So we're going to read this together. Here it is, Philippians 1. 27, on the count of three, let's read it out loud. One, two, three. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Okay, over here to my left, just this half of the room, uh, loud and proud, okay? This is a competition. Uh, here we go. So on the count of three, this half of the room, let's read it out loud. One, two, three. All right, they set the bar pretty high over here. Here we go. This half of the room. One, two, three. <laughs> That's awesome. Let's give yourselves a hand. That's awesome. You can go ahead and have a seat. My hope is that you've, over these past five weeks, you've been able to memorize that text. If you haven't, it's a great passage to marinate in. It's a great passage to meditate on. It's a great passage to recall and allow it to be the filter through which we view our life because this, this kind of gives a framework for how we're to conduct ourselves here on earth as we live as citizens of heaven. 
Well, few people throughout history have modeled countercultural living, have exemplified what it looks like to live as a citizen of heaven more vividly than the Apostle Paul. And so to catch us up on where we've been, uh, Paul, as he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, he has been in prison for four years. 24 7, 365, Paul is chained 18 inches away from a Roman guard. When you think about the practical implications of that, chained while he's sleeping, chained while he's eating, he's in chains as he's writing this letter to the church of Philippi. Paul is in prison, not because he's done something heinous, he hasn't broken the law in any way, but he was caught in the, the midst of a local political power struggle in Israel. So he has appealed to Caesar. It was the right of every Roman citizen at the time to have their case heard before the emperor of Rome. And so Paul has traveled from Israel all the way to Rome, and he's waiting his trial before Caesar. He's hopeful that he'll be released because he's done nothing worthy of punishment, but at this time, the emperor of Rome at the time, Nero, is killing Christians in droves. And so Paul doesn't know what is next for him. But the amazing thing in the midst of that circumstance, like his, his plans, his vision for his life is a million miles away from him at this point. But in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of things not going his way, Paul has joy. And the amazing thing is that if if joy is based on circumstances, if, if joy is based on everything working out in your favor, if joy is based on everything's going according to your plan, then the Apostle Paul would be a very miserable man. But in the midst of it all, his letters, his words to the church of Philippi are literally dripping with joy. He writes this in Philippians 1.4. He says, when I think about you guys, man, I always pray with joy. Philippians 1.18, but, but because of this, I rejoice and I will continue to re rejoice. Like this is an action form of joy. Philippians 2.18, we're going to study this passage today. He says, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Philippians 3.1, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord. Sometimes, no, no, always in the midst of chains, in the midst of your team not making the Super Bowl, in the midst of everything else going on. You might notice I'm ready for a new season, baby. Like we're, we're, we're moving on. Pitchers report this week. Things are looking up. It's good. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice. Like his words are dripping with joy, not because his circumstances are favorable, but because joy is available that supersedes any circumstance you and I could ever face. Happiness is based on happenstance, based on what happens to you. Joy is unshakable. And Paul models that for us. And he invites us into experiencing that kind of joy. And I think it's especially appropriate for us to choose joy in this season. I, I think God, in the midst of a divided world, is looking for a united church. I think a watching world is watching your life to see if this thing's for real. To, it, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And, and, and Paul, the Bible invites us to exemplify that, to, to allow our lives to drip that kind of, of fruit, to produce that kind of fruit. And so we're going to pick back up where we left off last week in Philippians 2, beginning in verse 17. We're going to study all the way to, uh, through verse 30. Uh, if you're like me, this is a, a section of Scripture that we typically just brush through. Uh, we don't really give a whole lot of thought or concentration to verses like this. 
Uh, but the Bible makes a statement that all scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. So even though it's maybe not a passage that all of us have memorized or even read before, uh, it's still useful. And so we're going we're gonna to study it. And uh, we're going to study it because in this section of scripture, three guys emerge, three prototypes, three model citizens. One's the apostle Paul, one's his, his, his son in the faith, Timothy, and the other, the third is Epaphrodites. And these three men are examples of citizenship in heaven. The ultimate prototype, what we're all trying to follow, like if you're a citizen of heaven, like the prototype that we try to model our life after is Jesus, right? And we studied a few weeks ago, like Paul says in chapter two, you too have the same attitude. You think the same way that Jesus thought. And Jesus' posture was always a servant. And so these men are trying to model their lives in service in servitude to, to Jesus. Here's what Jesus said. He said in, in Luke uh, chapter 27, he says, I'm among you as one who serves. Like God, very God, the creator of the universe, the God who spoke and calls thing into existence, like the God who rules the cosmos, like the starry host he hung by the breath of his mouth, the Bible says. He came to earth and he said, I'm among you as one who serves. Matthew 20, 28, he says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life away as a ransom for many. Give his life as a ransom for many. John 13, 15 says, this is after the, the Last Supper and he, Jesus just scrubbed the grimy feet of his disciples. In this culture, it would have been the, the lowest posture of any citizen of the time. Jesus stoops down, he washes their feet and he says, I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. A healthy exercise for us this week would just be to, to pull out our phone and take some notes or maybe in a journal, write out, what has Jesus done for you? Like, like what has he done? Like, has he, has he saved you? Has he like been faithful to you? Has he been present when everyone else was absent? Did he not give up on you when you turned your back on him? Like, what, what has he done for you? And, and list it all out. And just know this, like he's done that for you as an example that you too would serve others in that way that we would be people that model citizenship in heaven by modeling our life after Christ. I've set an example for you, Jesus says. And Paul knew this, Timothy knew this, Epaphrodites, they grasped this and therefore they tried to align their life to that high calling that you and I have received as well. So when we come to Philippians 2, 17 through 13, we see three examples and, um, and we're gonna look at that this week. So the first is this, is Paul. Paul living as a citizen of heaven it exemplifies this character quality that citizens of heaven sacrifice with joy. And this is where our notes begin. Citizens of heaven sacrifice with joy. So let's pick it up. Philippians 2 verse 17 says, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. He says, he says but, but even if, uh, we talked about this in, in the first few verses of chapter two, uh, where Paul says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. And what we discovered there, what we talked about is, is that was written in the a first class conditional cause. Uh, same thing, first class conditional clause. So, so this would literally be translated since I'm being poured out or because I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice in that reality. 
And so he's not saying one day maybe. He's saying, no, because this is my reality right now, I'm excited for it. I'm willing for it. I got joy because of it. The imagery here is one of sacrifice. And, uh, you know, we don't do sacrifices anymore. Uh, Thank God. Um, Roger, man, our jobs, priests in the Old Testament were basically butchers. Like it was a gruesome deal. And so uh, we're thankful we don't have that reality anymore. Um, But the imagery here is sacrifice. So to help us understand what Paul's talking about, he says, my life's being poured out like a drink offering. What would take place in the ancient world is people would come to the temple, they would come to places of worship like this, but they would always bring an offering. And uh, depending on the, the wealth of the individual, sometimes that would be like a big bull or, or, or maybe a ram or a goat or a sheep. And uh, there would be an altar there, an altar built of a fire. And uh, the individual would place their hands on the head of that animal as a sign of transferring their guilt, a sign of saying, man, I've blown it this week. And I, I know my sins have to be atoned for. So they would transfer the guilt onto the animal. Animal would then be, be slaughtered and then placed on this altar, the, this burning, think of it as a, humongous barbecue. And, uh, and as the, the smoke, as the animals being consumed, there would be a topping off of the sacrifice. It's a drink offering. Think of it as like a, a secondary offering, a lesser offering often would have been uh, one of, of water being poured out or wine or olive oil that as this animal's being consumed, a drink offering would be poured as kind of like a, a topping off. And the, the offering would then be vaporized very vivid, very graphic reality, engaging all senses of what sin requires of us. And Paul's saying, my life's like that. My life is being poured out. My life is just the top and off of of your sacrifice. He says, even if or because I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. Again, he's not talking about a future sacrifice, not a maybe sacrifice. He's talking about a present moment. My life is being poured out. He's not just talking about his death. He's talking about his, his life. As I've mentioned, he's in prison. He, he's, he's facing a very real possibility of a death sentence. But long before any of those current realities were Paul's, Paul decided years ago to say, I'm going to live my life as a living sacrifice. And so whenever his physical realities matched up with his commitment to Christ, it didn't shake Paul's faith. It didn't deter his joy because years ago he said, I'm going to live my life this way. I'm a living sacrifice. What's interesting to me is that Paul views his sacrifice as the lesser sacrifice. Look at this in the, the ESV. It says this, even if I'm poured out, I'm to be poured out like a drink offering upon what? Uh, Upon the sacrificial offering of of your faith. Paul's saying your faith, your sacrifice is the greater sacrifice. I'm just the drink offering. Your sacrifice is, is much bigger than mine. How could Paul say that? Like dudes in prison, dudes facing real death. Like he's chained to a Roman guard 24 seven. He says, no, no, let me just tell you, you guys are making the greater sacrifice. I'm just the drink offering being poured out on top of it. You might remember when we were studying Philippians 1, 27 through 30, the Philippian church is facing persecution. They're trying to live as citizens of heaven. They're trying to minister the gospel in the midst of a hostile environment. In verse 30, uh, chapter one, verse 30, Paul says, since, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here I still have, like they're, they're also being arrested. They're also being persecuted. 
And the amazing thing to me is that Paul views their sacrifice as the greater sacrifice. I mean, how, how often, it's, it's kind of in our nature, whenever we make a sacrifice for Christ, like that's on the forefront of our mind. Well, God, I did this for you. I did this for you. I did this for you. I gave here. I served there. I did this, but not the apostle Paul. He, he's, he's mindful of the sacrifice of other people around him. He's living out for us Philippians 2, 3, where he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Check this out. But in humility, consider other people better than yourselves. Paul's saying your sacrifice is bigger than mine. You're making a great, great sacrifice. I'm just, mine's just the, the topping, topping off. Paul, he's this man in prison facing death, viewed other sacrifice as the greater sacrifice. Back to Philippians 2.17. Not only does he, does he make this sacrifice, but he says, because of it, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. What's his reason for rejoicing? Well, it's, he's being poured out. He's saying, I'm honored. I'm so, I got joy because my life's being poured out. I got joy because I'm, I'm sacrificing for the cause of Christ. Paul would write in another letter, he says, he says, I want to know Christ to, to be, be identified with him in his sufferings. And there's therefore to experience the same resurrection from the dead that he did. Paul, that's Paul's mindset. That's the mindset of a citizen of heaven. Citizens of heaven know the greatest thing that we can do in our life is to live our life as a living sacrifice for God. It reminds me of Romans 12. If you have your Bibles, you might, might turn there. Uh, Romans 12, 1. He says this. So it starts with therefore. Therefore, and, uh, and as you know, every time you see the word therefore in your Bible, what do you got to do? You got to go back and see what it's there for. So in context of Romans 12, Paul's been talking about God's rescue mission for you. God, God's plan to bring salvation to earth. His, his rescue mission, not just for the Jews, but also for people like us wearing football jerseys today, living in this, this Gentile land. Like God's rescue mission. And it's, it blows Paul's mind. Like Paul's this, this, one of the most brilliant men ever to live. And he's, he's so blown away, he busts into this doxology in, in chapter 11, verse 33. He says, says, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. He's like, when I think about the wisdom of God, when I think about his plan to rescue humanity, it blows my mind. It makes my brain hurt. I can't wrap my head around it. He says, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who's ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all thanks to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Now, 12.1, therefore, in light of that, in light of who he is, in light of his rescue mission, in light of his infinite wisdom, in light of his grand scheme, in light of his magnitude, in light of his awesomeness, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. One translation says, this is your reasonable act of worship. He's saying like, hey, let's just, let's logically think about this. Like, what has God done for you? He's given me life. He's, he's given me a new day. He's provided skills, talents, abilities. Like everything I have is a gift from God. What could I give to God that, that he hasn't already given to me? So the reasonable response in light of him laying down his life in view of God's mercy, what's my logical response? My reasonable response is say, here's my life. I, I, I don't deserve your grace. I'm so grateful. 
And because I'm just, just so honored to be called your son, I'm so honored you adopted me as your own. God, here's my life. I'm, I'm going to live as a, a living sacrifice. Paul made this commitment years ago. So whenever his physical life required sacrifice, it was a no, it was, it was, he already made up his mind years ago. Like it's a, it's a no-brainer. I've already said yes to this. And so when we go back to Philippians chapter 2, he says, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, because I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. Listen, Paul's decision to make a sacrifice, to be in prison, to face martyrdom, wasn't a decision he made in the moment. The decision was made long ago. And his martyrdom, his imprisonment, his suffering for Christ only affirms the decision he made years prior. Paul models for us that citizens of heaven, we sacrifice with joy. Can I just ask, how are you doing in that area? Are you a living sacrifice in light of all God's done for you? In view of God's mercy, are you living Super Bowl Sunday saying, God, my life's yours. What, who do you want me to talk to? Where do you want me to go? How can I serve? What, what can I give? What can I give to you that you haven't already given to me? God, my life's yours. How are you doing in that area? Unfortunately, a lot of churches, we don't even hear the word sacrifice. We just wonder what God could do for me today. But the biblical worldview is saying, hey, no, my, not, my, not just a one-time sacrifice. My life's a sacrifice. Everything I am, all that I have. And if you are considering others' sacrifice greater than yours, or if you are sacrificing, how do you view others around you? Just recount your sacrifice. Are we aware of what other people are doing? And if you are living life as a sacrifice, are you doing it with joy, motivated by his mercy? That's challenging. Listen, if, if you live as a living sacrifice under religious obligation, that will suffocate you. But if you live life as a living sacrifice in view of God's mercy, there's joy there. There's life there. John Piper said this. He said, when joy is given away, it is not halved. It's doubled. And so as Paul, as a living sacrifice, as a sacrifice increases, so does his joy. Paul models for us, as citizens of heaven, we sacrifice with joy. Second is Timothy. Timothy, living as a, a citizen of heaven, models for us that citizens of heaven put Christ first. Citizens of heaven put Christ first. Let's look at uh, chapter 2, verse 19. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. Uh, Timothy, he is this man uh, that was Paul's companion, his, his ministry partner. He's from the city of Galatia. Uh, in your Bibles, there's a, a letter to the church of Gal called Galatians. It's written to the church of Galatia. That, that's Timothy's hometown. Uh, Timothy's mother and grandmother were, were, were weapons for the kingdom. They, they loved God. They trained Timothy in the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, Timothy's father, however, was Greek and introduced Timothy, would train him about Greek culture, uh, Greek language, Greek, Greek traditions. He was educated in that. Uh, we learned that, that Timothy was uncircumcised whenever he started following Paul, which again highlights that he was, had this Greek heritage. And so it, Timothy is this unique combination of, of Judaism, but also Greek culture, which makes Timothy this, this one-two punch for Paul to take with him on his missionary journey to minister the gospel to the Jews, but also to Greek areas like, like Philippi. So Paul introduced Timothy to Jesus, helped Timothy find and follow Jesus. And Paul invited Timothy, Timothy to follow him. 
on his ministry in his first missionary journey. Uh, Paul then invited Timothy to travel to be a part of his ministry. And, and at the time that Paul is writing this letter, uh, Timothy is Paul's closest companion. Timothy has been with Paul for over 10 years. He has no one else in the ministry like him. Paul says this in Philippians 2.20, he says, he says, I have no one else like him, not just because of his, his tenure with Paul, but because he says, says I have no one else like him because uh, Timothy, he, oh, let's go to the next verse, verse 20. He says, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. Like Timothy, he wasn't just in it for himself. He's concerned about others. He's concerned about what's taking place with the Philippians. And there's, you know, we can be concerned about a lot of things. Most of us were concerned about, about ourselves, about what's going on, about our finances, about our time, our talents. Uh, Timothy's concern, his genuine concern, his genuine interest was in the welfare of the church of Philippi. And that's a beautiful thing. Whenever we're concerned for others, when we're praying for others, reaching out to others, ministering to others. Philippians 2.21 says, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Christ, but not Timothy. Timothy put Christ, Christ first. The idea here is that Timothy is the kind of servant, he's the kind of citizen of heaven consumed with Jesus. Like his thoughts, his worldview, his, his motives consumed with, with serving Christ. A life lived in service of Christ is a life that makes an impact right here, right now on this earth. And it's also a life that echoes throughout all of eternity. Focus on the interest of Christ. Find out what Christ is doing here on this earth and man, jump in and join that work. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, In context, he's talking about concerns of life. And we all have concerns, right? Like we're concerned financially. We're concerned with providing for our family. We're concerned with shelter and, and homes, especially here in the Bay. Like it's a concern. And, and Jesus is just saying, hey, you're, God knows what you need. Like if he feeds the birds of the air like that, like he'll take care of you. If he, if he clothes the lilies of the field, like he's going to take care of you. He says, but for you, here's where you focus your attention. Seek first. The kingdom, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Like put Jesus first. And I'll just say this. I, I'm standing before you as a guy that was probably the most skeptical of this. Like, God, if I put you first, then my life's ruined. Because, man, my, I've had so much fun over here doing these things, chasing this stuff. But I will say this. Whenever I finally did surrender and I said, God, here's my life. I'm, I'm, I give it to you. I'm going to live as a living sacrifice. Whatever you want from me, I'm in. And I started putting, seeking the kingdom of God first, started putting, and I'm not perfect at this, like your boy gets off track too. But the more I do this, the more I live this, the more my life comes into alignment. I don't know if you ever throw your back out, like your back was out, your back was jacked, right? You go to a chiropractor and they lay you on that table and they make that awful noise where your, all bones in your body feel like they just popped. But you get back up, you're like, oh, wow, it's awesome. I was skeptical of the chiropractor. But you just put my back in. Listen, I'm skeptical of this too. But you, you do it, your life gets in alignment, prevents you from a whole lot of hurts and needless pain that a lot of people experience in their life. But it begins with putting God first. That's, that's the model that Timothy is for us. They're concerned with Christ. They're focused on the king. They're consumed with kingdom concerns. Paul says, I have no one else like him. Verse 22, but you know, Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served 
with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him soon. So I, as soon as I see how things go with me and I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Timothy's gonna go to this church of Philippi, Paul's closest companion. So Paul's sacrificing, Timothy's sacrificing to go to this church in Philippi to bring back a report to Paul, let him know what's happening. And Paul's laying the groundwork by sending this letter on ahead of him. Third, third character, third prototype of Paphrodites. This is our final one. Paphrodites, see, models for us that citizens of heaven are willing to risk. Citizens of heaven are willing, willing to risk. Listen, living as a citizen requires trust, and trust always involves risk. The principle we learn from Epaphrodites is that citizens of heaven are willing to take great risk. We don't know a whole lot about this man. Uh, we don't know his parents. We don't know his background. We don't know his pedigree. We don't know his education. All we know of him is that out of everyone in this congregation in Philippi, they said, hey, Epaphroditus, you're a man. Like, you go see Paul. You minister to his needs. He would have taken monetary supplies, some, some money to help Paul out. Uh, but he would also check on him and minister, minister to Paul. So out of everyone in this church, they send Epaphroditus, which speaks of his, his character. And I want you to think about this. So Epaphroditus, he's going to visit Paul, who is a prisoner in Rome. So at, at best, they... He's either a, a criminal in the minds of the people or a perceived criminal. And now Epaphroditus is going to a foreign country to hang out with a known, a wanted man, like this guy waiting to appeal before Caesar. So at great risk to his reputation, at great risk to, to his future, Epaphroditus goes. And here's what we, we read in uh, Philippians 2.25. It says, but I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who also is your messenger, whom you sent to care for my needs. For he longs for all of you because he's distressed because you heard he was ill. And so now here's Epaphroditus at great risk to himself, at great risk to his reputation, now at great risk to his life. He, he, he's serving with Paul. Now he gets word like at the church of Philippi, like you heard I'm sick. And now, now he's distressed because the church heard he was ill. Next it says this, it says, not only was he, he wasn't just a little bit sick. Let's go to the next verse here. He says, indeed, he was ill and he almost died, like great risk to himself. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him to you so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. <laughs> Isn't it nice to know that Paul's like, hey, you need to go out and get this boy out of here. Like, stressing me out, having him around. Like he's almost died on my hands. How am I not going to live with that on my head? So he sends him back. And, uh, but, but Epaphroditus at great risk serves Paul, serves the church in that way. Think about this. One thing I find interesting in this text is that Epaphroditus is concerned about Paul. So at great risk, he goes to visit him. Paul's concerned about Epaphroditus because Epaphroditus is sick and he's about to die. Now Epaphroditus is concerned about the church of Philippi because they heard he was ill and he's concerned about them being worried about, about him. And all that started with the church of Philippi being concerned with Paul. You get it? It's like this big circle of concern, but all the concerns are not self-centered. They're all outward focused. The Philippians are concerned with Paul. Paul's concerned with Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is concerned about the Philippians. They're living out for us what Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, as we studied this a few weeks ago, let's Check out the verse here. It says, don't be selfish. Don't, don't try to impress others. 
Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Check it out. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take interest in other people too. They're all concerned with other, other people. And for us as citizens of heaven, that's our attitude. That's the posture we take as well. So let me just ask, are you willing to risk for Christ? Are you willing to risk your reputation? Are you willing to risk your comfort? As citizens of heaven, citizens of heaven are always willing to risk for the sake of the gospel and for others. In closing, we have three examples of model citizens displayed in the character qualities that they lived and character qualities that we are invited to follow as well. And so how do we bring this down? Like, how do we make something like this practical for us this week? How do we live as citizens of heaven? Well, first, it means citizens of heaven are willing to sacrifice for the Lord and all the while doing it with joy. Let me just ask, have you made a sacrifice for God lately? Have you been willing to set aside some of your own desires, pleasures, things that you like for the sake of others? Many of you have, and I, I, know, I know some of your stories, and I think, I just want you to know, I think that's a beautiful thing. You're living as a citizen of heaven. All of us, I think, if we're honest, would say, man, we can grow. We can grow in that area of our life. And sacrifice isn't a one-time event, right? We're invited to follow Jesus' example and live life as a living sacrifice. How do we live as a citizen of heaven this week? We live by putting Christ first. Letting Christ be the filter through which we view circumstances, the view, the view through which we, we view our finances, view our calendar, we view relationships. We follow his example. What does it mean to live as a citizen of heaven? It means willing to serve Christ in spite of risk. In spite of risking your reputation, tell people about Christ this week. At the risk of your comfort, serve other people this week. At the risk of your health, minister to people this week. And even if the time comes where it means risking your life, make the decision today to live as a living sacrifice. And when that time comes, your decision will already be made for you because that's what citizens of heaven do. Let's pray. Well, God, we thank you for yeah, your sacrifice for us, God. We thank you, God, for models like Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus. God, that we too can model our life after. So God, I pray for your church today, that God, you would help us to make a decision even right now, to live life, a conscious decision to say, God, in light of all you've done and in view of your mercy, I give you my life. I'm choosing to live this week. I'm choosing to live today as a living sacrifice for you. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, and maybe some of you are here in the room, in a room this size, I recognize people are in all different stages of their spiritual journey. And uh, maybe you're here and you're saying, you know what, I don't know that I am a citizen of heaven. I don't know if that's true of me. I don't know if I'm a Christian. I don't know if I'm a follower of Jesus. Um, well, man, that can all change now. That can change in a moment. Uh, the Bible says this, that if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess with your mouth that you're making him the Lord of your life, the leader of your life, the Bible says that you can be saved. Saved, saved right now. Saved from what? Saved from hell when you die? Yeah, that's part of it. But you can be saved from going another day without the presence of Jesus in your life, without a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You can know the Holy Spirit's power activated in your life. All that begins by committing your life to him. So if you want to make that commitment to God today, I invite you to just talk to God. We call it prayer, but it's just communicating with God. So right there where you are, you just, you just tell God something like this. Say, God, I come to you today and 
I realize I made some mistakes. I realize that's sin, that's missing the mark. And, and my choices, my actions have separated me from you. But God, today I'm coming back to you. And I hear your invitation to lay down my life in service for you as a living sacrifice. And God, while I don't fully understand that, I want to do it. So God, today I surrender my life to you. Would you give me the gift of your Holy Spirit? Give me power to face con uh, the, the, the situations and circumstances I'm up against. God, would you give me help today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, that's awesome. Hey, let's put our hands together for people that made that spiritual commitment. If that was you, I'd love to connect with you. Uh, again, in the seat backs, there's that connect card. You can fill that out. Or you can text me at 408-944-5402. That's 408-944-5402. Um, and I'd just love to connect with you. Got some resources for you. Hey, uh, for everyone else here, uh, that, that wasn't your, let's give it up one more time for people that made that first time commitment. That's awesome. <laughs>